Good evening. Um, for those of you who it's your first time here, we're going through a series called I Was Blind, But Now I See. Different pastors have been sharing their testimonies of God's faithfulness in their life, either using a text that the Lord brought them to Christ in or a text that would highlight how they came to Christ. Tonight, you can turn to John 1, 43 through 51, and this text will not, this text will show how I came to Christ. As you can see, the title of my sermon is, He's Always Been Faithful. And I hope that this sermon will encourage you to see God's faithfulness in your life, not just the moment you might have come to Christ, but even in the days leading up to it. A few things about the Gospel of John that will be helpful for you. Whenever you're reading anything, it's, it's super helpful when the author shares his intent, and John does so for us. In John 20, verse 30, John writes that there were many signs that weren't written that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, verse 31, but these were written that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you would find life in his name. That's exactly what Dr. McHurd preached about last week. Life in Christ from John 14. And so a question that we should ask about this text is, if John is writing these signs, well, when was the first sign? The answer is John 2. Jesus' first sign was when he turned water to wine at the wedding at Cana. And so this passage tonight, John 1, 43 through 51, it's right on the brink of that first sign. It's, it's the end of this chapter where there's this prologue about Jesus. And you're learning all these things about who Jesus is and the disciples that he's drawn to himself. With that in mind, uh, reading from the NIV 1984, John 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you find us. We thank you for life in Christ and for these signs that point to Jesus being the Son of God. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Help me make much of you. And I pray that tonight many more would be swept into this story. Pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, Reverend Barrett preached, and he shared from Psalm 23 about how the Lord met him in the back of the sanctuary at First Pres. 
how he came to Christ, and it was very easily seen that God saved him directly through this church, through the ministry of this church. I wanted to go ahead and spoil the sermon tonight by sharing with you that I came to Christ in college. I went to Georgia College, and that's where God saved me, my wife, and a few other names I'll mention in a second. But it was very important to me for everyone here to know that even though God met me an hour and 45 minutes away from Augusta, God directly used this church to bring me to himself. Because of a ministry called Campus Outreach Augusta, there were students and staff at Georgia College who shared the gospel with me. And not only me, but a few names to encourage us. Jacob McClure, Brian Cook, Brad Williams, Travis Skillingstad, Andrew Martinez, Zach Cook, Brett George. Just a few years uh, away, older or younger than me, different men who came to Christ at Georgia College, and those men are, are all members of this church. God has used this church in a mighty way and continues to do so. Tonight, looking at John 1, we're going to see the faithfulness of God in the life of Philip and Nathaniel. And I think this passage deeply reflects God's faithfulness to me and his faithfulness, particularly through intentionality, a period of investigation, and then making new one's identity. First, looking at verse 43. This passage begins with Jesus and his intentions to go to Galilee. This is where Jesus would spend about 18 months of his ministry, healing, preaching, teaching, showing compassion. And as John says later in chapter 20, he wanted to do these things in the presence of his disciples. So Jesus, intending for Galilee, intentionally brings Philip with him. Two simple, clear, deliberate words. Follow me. He calls Philip not to a project, not to a program, but recruits him to a person. Verse 44, we learn that Philip is from Bethsaida. John gives this note to remind the reader that God works through networks. Philip was from the same hometown as Simon Peter and Andrew, and it's a reminder to us that there's no telling how God might want to use us in our classroom, in our neighborhood, at our job, in the gym we work out in. God does not work in a vacuum, but through a network. And verse 45 shows more the significance of that same hometown where Philip can't help but find Nathaniel. This follows well the passage before where when Andrew is called by Jesus, it says, these are beautiful words, it says, the first thing he did was find Peter. The first thing Andrew did. Same thing happens to Philip. Philip is called by Christ to follow, and yet he can't help but go and find Nathaniel. He's told to follow, and he has to find Nathaniel. In fact, Nathaniel, who's also referred to as Bartholomew, every time he's mentioned in the Gospels, it always goes Philip Bartholomew, Philip Nathaniel. And then verse 45, we see more intentionality. With Philip describing to Nathaniel who he is, he says that he's the one in whom Moses spoke about and the prophets wrote about. And so there's an intentional description of who Jesus is. And this intentionality of Jesus is also intentionality to Nathaniel. What, what Philip has to say about Nathaniel, it only holds value because Nathaniel was a student of the law. And this description spoke to Nathaniel's core concerns as he was one who was waiting on the Christ. God pursued me through intentional people. 
I want to share three moments growing up where God gave short, intentional moments of his grace to me, but it will be helpful for you to know more about who I am for that to matter at all. I was born in Richmond, Virginia, and my family moved to Oconee County right outside of Athens when I was six. That's where I was from kindergarten through senior year of high school. And the, the one thing I would tell you about me growing up, I wanted to be good at everything. I was a deeply, deeply insecure kid. There's a few reasons for this. Oconee County school system was intense, and I longed to make good grades and to succeed. I have one sister. She's three years older than me. She's brilliant. She is, she's an amazing leader. She is she's so much smarter than me. And growing up, I couldn't help for this longing to be ambitious to keep up with her. Sports, competitions, board games, those things certainly didn't help this desire to want to be good at different things and to prove myself worth. But more than any of those attributes, the defining mark of my childhood, my upbringing, and my story, to put it simply and generously to you all, is I, I grew up with a father who passed away a year ago in 2020 who was a very, very angry man. He was very angry. And what that did was it caused me to grow up in a household where at all times I was afraid. And when you're afraid, there's an idol that emerges called control. If you know anyone who struggles with a control idol, they're afraid. And so for me, my philosophy on life, I wouldn't be able to articulate it then, but it was if I can just be decent at everything, I can remain in control, and nothing can harm me or come my way. Intentionality began for me with my mom, who brought me to church most Sundays. And in the sixth grade, she got me involved with the youth group. I was not a Christian. I had uh, very little interest in spiritual things. I thought you were just born a Christian. And it would be in youth group with the leaders, Mr. Julian, Miss Holly, Miss Kathy, and these other kids my age that I felt really loved. I felt cared for. I remember even in middle school saying, I would hate to admit this, but I kind of like youth group. I wouldn't want anyone to know, but it felt good to be cared for. It felt good to be led in devotionals. It felt amazing to be able to look back at my week and share the highs and lows of what God was doing in my life. Fast forward to ninth grade. I went to a brand new high school, no senior class. There was freshmen, sophomores, and juniors and I remember sitting in homeroom, I rode the bus to school, North Oconee High School, was in homeroom about an hour early. This was the first or second week of my freshman year of high school. I'm ready to be noticed. I'm ready to make a name for myself, to branch out. And I can't tell you who it was. I have no idea who this was. But someone came into the classroom and intentionally initiated with me and begged me to come to the school auditorium where I agreed. I didn't really know what was going on. And I went to an FCA meeting where the gospel was preached. But more than any message, what I remember about that, that moment in ninth grade was what we just did here in corporate worship. Believers worshiping God through song. I still remember like an Ebenezer moment as a non-Christian being surrounded by people who were singing to a God in whom they loved. An amazing part of that story is that many of you know Tori Acock. Well, before Tori Acock was Tori Acock, she was Tori Parsons. 
And she was actually singing and leading worship that day as we sang the song, Better is One Day in Your Courts. I think that was the only FCA meeting I went to in high school, but I still remember it. In high school, I was running from one friend group to another, and I truly wanted to win at everything and just be safe and sound. So whether it was AP classes or being the class clown, whether it was sports or video games or uh, volunteering or uh, going to parties, whatever it was, I was running to and fro just looking to fit in. I saw college as an escape from the aquarium of of high school to open waters. And in college, being freed from my parents' household, going to Georgia College an hour and 15 minutes away, I devised all summer long of my big plans for college, for escaping and for being fully satisfied. My first day at Georgia College, not one, not two, but three upperclassmen who lived next door to me on the second floor of Adams Hall, befriended me, loved on me, invited me to go get dinner, and began helping me pursue spiritual things. The last thing I wanted in college was God, and the first people he brought in my life were people who had spent the entire summer praying before for the new freshman class that they could love on them and include them. They, didn't, they weren't just intentional towards me, but they gave me room to investigate. God used a season of investigating, though it was much quicker than mine, in Nathaniel's life. In hearing what Philip had to say about God, Nathaniel shouts out, Nazareth! It's his first thought. It's like he almost didn't hear any of the thing about Jesus being the one in whom Moses wrote. He heard, son of Joseph, Nazareth. For those of you who were here a few weeks ago when Pastor Luke preached about how he's from Fitzgerald, he said you drive about three hours in the middle of nowhere, and then you go 30 minutes more. It's kind of how Nazareth was viewed. It was the middle of nowhere. What good could come from Nazareth? There was doubt. There was prejudice. There was assumptions. And there was one question he had. What good could come from there? In this investigative period, Philip of all responses, doesn't give an answer. He doesn't give an argument, but he gives an invitation. Come and see. I remember Dr. George Robertson once saying from a sermon here, you can't argue anyone into Christianity, but you can invite them. It's exactly what Philip did. He laid out a simple invitation, and it would prove prophetic. Because if you look at the text, Nathaniel in agreeing, doesn't even get a word in as Jesus sees him approaching. In simply coming to Christ, he does see the Christ. Because Jesus, not attempting to flatter him, but to greet him, shares with him that he is someone he knows. He says that he's a true Israelite, an Israelite of heart. If you remember in the Gospels, you'll read of the Pharisees in whom Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's not how it was with Nathaniel. He was an Israelite in ethnicity and an Israelite of the heart. And so Nathaniel says, have we met before? How do you know me? He had one question for Philip, and now he has one question for the Christ. How do you know me? Have we met before? In verse 48, Jesus says to him, 
I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's a twofold answer. In one sense, he sees him before Philip, so he's, he's proving to Nathaniel that he's aware that Philip called him, though he was not there. But secondly, he's saying, I saw you under the fig tree. Figs and fig trees are all throughout God's Word. About a third of the books of the Bible include things about figs and fig trees. It sometimes can represent that of death and emptiness and a curse. If you remember Genesis 3, what happens right after sin enters the world? Well, they sew together clothing out of fig leaves. But it can also mean that of safety and, and, and growth and peace in the land and seeking counsel from the Lord. You see this in 1 Kings and in Micah. And so Jesus is saying to him, as you were a student of the law, I saw you meditating. I saw you praying. A lot of commentators debate whether it's fully literal or if there's something deeper going on. But from Nathaniel's reaction, him being told that he was seen under the fig tree, it had a profound impact on him. It led to immediate belief. It was a communication from Jesus when Nathaniel wanted to know, have we met before? Jesus was, Jesus was basically saying to him, oh yeah, we've met. I'm the God who was there. As we just sang, whether it's the mountains or the valleys, I was the God who was there. In your deepest thoughts, in your deepest anxieties, I was the God who was there. I have been there. I know you, Nathaniel. I love this comment from John Calvin. He says, whether or not we are thinking of Christ, one thing is sure, we are observed by him. Christ was observing me in college. I spent time with these upperclassmen who were students involved with campus outreach, some who were Christians being discipled, some who had just recently become Christians, and they made room for my questions. Very quickly, they helped me see that being a Christian isn't church attendance. Being a Christian isn't your good outweighing your bad. Being a Christian is recognizing that Jesus loves you and dies for your sins, that you would be able to have a relationship with God. And yet there were still more questions I had. I understood from them and the community and uh, the Bible studies that Jesus could save, but my heart was asking the question, can he satisfy me? I long to be satisfied. Freshman year, sophomore year, even slightly into junior year, I experienced these seasons where I was growing from their community. They were making room, inviting me to explore the gospel. I was learning so much about the gospel, so much about Jesus. I was going with them to church. I was going to weekly meetings on campus. I was in Bible studies in small groups. They did an amazing job loving me, but my heart was at war, and I found myself often on the weekends with other friends, finding old habits emerge. I found myself in the summertime isolated from community and still chasing after these things that would not last. And yet through it all, these men loved on me. They included me. They kept on inviting me and told me functionally, come and see, come and see. And God didn't just use an investigative period in Nathaniel's life, but he completely transformed his identity. We see in verse 49 that Jesus' answer proved sufficient. He gives a two-fold declaration of who he sees Jesus to be, saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
He went from saying, what good could come from Nazareth to you are God, you are the real king. Jesus then, in verse 50, doubles down. He doubles down on the fig tree. He actually clarifies for us in the text that Nathanael is one who believes. He says in verse 50, you believe, signifying his belief. But he points out, you believe because I told you something. You believe because I've told you that I know you. You shall see greater things than that. He says, you believe because I've spoken. Just wait till I act. Which brings us to verse 51. And if you'll remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said that John 2 is the first sign. Well, John is intentionally writing this like a percussionist with a drum roll. John 1 is expanding with higher speed and louder volume on who this Jesus is. In fact, John 2, the water to wine, it says it was on the third day. Earlier in the story, with John the Baptist declaring who Jesus is, it says the next day. And then with Andrew and Peter, it says, and later that day. And as you can see at the beginning of this text, it says the next day. And now we're at the last verse, verse 51, right before the crescendo finale, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, to many of us, that wouldn't seem like a big deal. In fact, to many of us, it probably sounds a little confusing. But to Nathaniel, especially with him being a true Israelite of heart, this would be a profound statement. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God, the God's chosen one. The Apostle John says he's the Word who became flesh. Andrew says he's the Christ. Philip says he's the one that Moses wrote about. But what does Jesus have to say about himself? Verse 51 He's referring to a story from the Old Testament. He's referring, if you, if you remember, or maybe you're not familiar, in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob had stolen the birthright and the promised inheritance from his twin brother Esau. And in doing so, he's now on the run because Esau says, I'm going to kill you. For what you did, when Isaac dies, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, son of Isaac, the third patriarch, he's received the inheritance. And in chapter 28, he's now on the run to the land of Laban. He's alone in the wilderness. He's full of despair. He's at this point where he might not even see his parents ever again. He's at such a point of lowness and emptiness that he finds a rock for his pillow at a night like this. And he lays down to go to bed, and he has this vision, this dream. He sees this stairway that goes from the earth all the way to the heavens. And what does he see at the top? He sees the Lord. And he sees angels ascending and descending. And God says to him, I am the Lord, the father, the God of your father, Isaac, and your grandfather, Abraham. And he proceeds to give him all these promises about his presence and about the inheritance and about all the ways he will be blessed, that he might be a blessing to the whole earth. Philip has no idea how prophetic he was in his conversation with Nathaniel. He says, we found the one in whom Moses wrote 
and the passage ends with Jesus declaring himself to be the one in whom Moses wrote. Jesus is functionally saying to Nathanael, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the one who has come to connect sinful people with a holy God. I am the one whom you will soon see in my presence many, many signs that declare, I am the great Redeemer in whom the world's been waiting. The crescendo ends, and yet the beauty of it is is found not only in Jesus declaring that he is the only way to God, but also he's changing Nathanael in that moment. Because in this text, every time the word you is used, it's singular. But in verse 51, it's plural. Another way we could read it would be, I tell you all the truth, you all shall see. It's to be understood that Nathaniel wasn't alone in this moment. But likely, Philip, Andrew, Peter, and the Apostle John were all there. Functionally, what Jesus is saying is, not only am I Jacob's ladder, but you all are now my witnesses. And that's exactly who they would become. Witnesses of Christ, witnesses of his redeeming work, witnesses of the gospel. And we see at the end of John chapter 21, the resurrected Christ, who is he with? He appears to Nathanael. He appears to these men. And then in Acts 1, after Jesus has walked the earth 40 days after overcoming death, he ascends in Acts 1. And two angels are there. And who are they talking to? Nathanael and the witnesses. Nathaniel and being invited to come and see is made a witness. Summer between sophomore year and junior year of college is when I gave the world one last chance to fill me, and it just completely flopped. It couldn't satisfy my long hungering for life, and this fearful boy searching for answers came back to Georgia College after a summer where I struggled once again with substance abuse, once again, chasing after women. I wrecked my car. I came into college a complete mess. And once again, there were students and staff who I reasoned with to just let me be. I told them I wasn't worthy to be in these small groups. I told them everything I had done. And what they said to me is, Alan, if all of that's true, the last thing you need to do is leave this community. They brought me in. They helped me learn how to study God's word for myself. And I share with you tonight, I don't know an exact moment. There wasn't an exact verse. It wasn't an exact day. But fall of my junior year, I know I could see. I know I was no longer blind. I know that I was born again. I remember waking up and hungering for the scriptures. I remember knowing deep in my heart that Christianity wasn't about how much I loved God, but how much God loved me. I remember walking the campus of Georgia College and truly in my heart of hearts desiring to know God. I remember learning and growing and feeling cared for, and then a purposeful life snatched me up. I remember the joy of being able to help others find God. Just like Philip says, he was found by God, and yet he said, we found God. It's just a reminder to us all, whether you are 8 or 80, you might think you found God, but God found you. I had been found by God, and he had gripped my heart, and he was changing me as a witness. I was falling in love with God. 
As King David says in Psalm 36, 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I don't know exactly when it happened, but I knew where the fountain of life really was. The world had let me down, and no longer was my question, can God satisfy me? But I knew deep in my heart, not only can he satisfy me, nothing else will. That August and that fall, I was swept into the story. I was made a witness. I was growing joyfully. I had clear security and purpose. I was no longer afraid, but felt the presence of God. My identity was completely made new. I was not who I once was, but I was a child of God. So God uses intentional people. I, I don't have social media. A few of you know that. I don't have social media. I'm not the best at keeping in contact. But one of those older men my freshman year, he actually later became a member of this church. Then he moved away for work. I had to hunt down his phone number. But I texted him this week telling him about our church, the series, and I let him know. I have a daughter who I read the Bible to every night with my wife because you chose to love and be patient with an insecure freshman. God uses intentional people. God uses investigative periods. I didn't have people who screamed at me, people who made me feel small for the things I didn't understand, but I had a community who gave me room to investigate and kept cheering me on as I sought to understand both how God saves and satisfies. And then we have a God who makes people new. I'm not who I once was. God has radically changed who I am. I'm no longer defined by looking for approval from man, living with fear of man. But now my identity is in Christ and in him alone. As John says at the end of his gospel, my life is wrapped up in Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ. I can't tell you the exact moment I went from death to life. I can't tell you the exact moment I went from being blind to now I see. But I think that's the point. Tuesday night, I got home and from a ministry event at USC Aiken. And it was the sixth inning of game six in the Braves game. How many of y'all were watching the Braves game? You, I can't see that. I don't know why I asked that. Half of you, maybe a third of you. My wife was watching it. It was the sixth, seventh inning, and I was exhausted from just a long day, and I know this is horrible to say. I'm, I'm proving myself to not be a Braves fan by saying this, but I was like, hey, I'm going to bed. As I was leaving the room, Freddie Freeman hit a home run for them to go up 7-0, so I felt a little bit better about going to bed. But then as I got in bed, I had this thought, they're going to lose the game. <laughs> Maybe it's 40 years without UGA winning a national championship. Maybe it's because I'm a Hawks fan. Maybe it's because I'm a Falcons fan. And it's only been a few years. Or maybe it's because I know the Braves went to the World Series five times in the 1990s, and they only won once. We look back at that Braves team wondering, are they, are they going to ruin and spoil this, this series lead? They only had that one faithful season. That's not how it is with God in our lives. There's not one faithful season. It might seem from this testimony that I came to Christ in college, but like Nathaniel, 
I was seen under the fig tree by the God who was there. He was there in sixth grade when people loved on me and listened to me as I was afraid. He was there for me in high school when I was in a new environment and I was invited by someone I don't even remember into a room where people were worshiping him. And even though my heart longed for life in this world, longed for the desires of the flesh, he was there for me when I got to Georgia College because of a ministry that this church leads and this church sustains. And those three moments are more profound and transformative than anything I've learned in any any seminary class. God was there, and he will always be there. He's always been faithful. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, God. I thank you so much that you did not give me the desires of my heart, but rather you changed the desires of my heart. I thank you for the intentional people you put in my life. I thank you that you've allowed me to see you as Jacob's ladder, as the great redeemer who came down to reconcile me, a sinner in need of your mercy. I thank you for your saving grace. Lord, thank you for sweeping us into the story and for making us witnesses. Pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.